It's the Eastern Insider Podcast with your hosts, Greg Steiner and Alex Jewell. On the eve of Fat Tuesday, we bring you a Eastern Insider podcast that'll help you get ready for the Mardi Gras spirit and maybe some punchkies on Fat Tuesday. I'm Greg Steiner. I'm Alex Jewell. What's your favorite filling when it comes to a punchki? Uh, I can always go fruit flavoring, but a kind of a dark horse candidate is always a good custard filled as well. You can't go wrong there. Although this year, eating a little bit better, so I'm going to forego the punchkies altogether. You can have mine for me. I have a box waiting in my house right now to bring in for tomorrow, so you'll still have some anyways, and they are cherry, whether you like it or not. I said fruit filling is just fine, so I'm excited for that, and nothing like uh, the Mardi Gras season, Greg. It's very festive around here, not so much in the northern states, but we can embrace it too. Well, it is winter break on EMU's campus, and that doesn't mean we slow down, but it just means teams may not be on our campus, but plenty of action this week. Let's start with the tennis team, Greg. They're in the midst of an 11-day travel session. They've uh, started out in New York. They've hit Connecticut tomorrow. They're back in Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. They're going to go down to the D.C. area to play Morgan State before heading back towards Ohio and, and getting closer to Michigan. And of course, our baseball team is right now down in the Sunshine State where you're going to be actually joining them here in a couple of days. They're playing Florida Gulf Coast tomorrow, and then they've got an invitation to the Snowbird Classic in Port Charlotte this weekend, four games down there. And I know you're going to be joining them down there. I know you're pretty excited for the warmer weather that is. It, I am. I'm ready to get down, putting the hard work in in Port, Port Charlotte. Someone has to do it, and I drew short straw. You did. You are making a, a, a great sacrifice, getting on a plane on Wednesday morning, flying down for four or five days right uh, in Port Charlotte near the beach there. Uh, you Even know, my what? back situation uh, uh, crammed in uh, a, a plane could be problematic. That's workers comp right there. Oh, yeah. OK, I don't want to hear it. Nonetheless, it's you're still going down there to do some work and we're appreciative of that. But don't let anybody get fooled by Greg Steiner. He's going to enjoy the Florida trip as well as he should. Much deserved. We still have home basketball going on. It is the final week. You can catch your men's team in the regular season. They're at home twice this week. Northern Illinois, the opponent, the Mac West division leading Huskies come in 7 p.m. start on Tuesday before the women play in DeKalb on Wednesday against the Husky club that they've already uh, had a go around this year with already. And then the men's close out their regular season home finale on Saturday, a noon start against Central Michigan, a team that they've beaten on the road already. But more importantly, it's the baby toddler race day that I know so many people are glued to. Hey, it's a great event every year out at the convo, the diaper dash and the toddler trot. If there's still room and Greg, there's two $100 Meyer gift cards on the line for the winner, not to mention really good basketball in store. Listen, there's four games left in the regular season for both the men and the women. The women right now in the four spot with a, a chance to earn their first buy to Cleveland since the 2011-12 season. And the men currently step a little bit back in the standings, but a lot of room left to move up and potentially host a home game. So 
hopefully we'll they'll be able to do that and get us one more game at the convocation center yeah it should be fun the women will then have toledo on saturday afternoon as they will play the rockets at 2 30 they'll still have a home date for their finale coming up the following week so make sure you get out to the convo for that but also cannot forget air force will be the gymnastics opponent this week as they're on the road and then mac championships get hot and heavy the Swimming and diving team is in action in Buffalo. Meanwhile, men's and women's indoor track, they will compete for their championship over in Akron as we try to pick up championships number 150 and 151, maybe 152 as well. Well, we've talked about it a little bit throughout the podcast season, and it really is true. When you look at swimming and diving and track in particular, these are two programs that have a long storied history of winning MAC titles, and it's no secret that that's their goal this year, both of those sides. Swimming and diving with a new head coach this year, Derek Perkins. And of course, you can't uh, forego the history that track has put together as well. Both of these squads have really good opportunities to go down to their respective uh sites where they're going to be playing and bring back home championship 150 who's going to be the next team to be able to go to the new student athlete performance center and put their championship on the 12 foot replica trophy well hopefully we'll have one after this weekend over the weekend we had a uh, momentous occasion it was the annual play for k game in honor of uh, north carolina state head coach k yao and it was a vital piece of the growing up part dealing with breast cancer and her family for kiara johnson from the women's basketball team and i know you guys Got a chance to sit down with her in just a little bit. You're going to get to hear from Kiara Johnson, whose mother Maria uh, had breast cancer when she was growing up. Luckily, she survived the disease. But of course, breast cancer is one of those ailments that affects almost everybody, whether they've had it or not. I don't think that I've ever met one person that doesn't know somebody or have a direct connection to somebody that's been affected by breast cancer. So, so to hear how Kiara dealt with that growing up, um, all of the support she had, and really her message to those who may be dealing with the same thing that are younger, maybe in athletics, and how to kind of revolve around that. Uh, It's a really interesting interview and a really special moment. And it was really special on Saturday because, of course, her mom, Maria, and their family came up from Buffalo. They surprised KJ at the game. And Maria was surprised with the opportunity to be the honorary captain for the day. She was brought down to center court, and uh, it was a really moving moment here at the Convocation Center. And then you'll also get the chance to hear from two new Eagles, one that's been around for a little bit, and the other one really just about a week into his Eastern Michigan tenure. We'll start first with Chandler Wilson, Eastern Michigan's marching band director, who's joined Eastern over the summer, really has done a fantastic job re-energizing the pride of the peninsula, better known as EMU's marching band. We get to talk with him, find out why he came to Ypsilanti after growing up in the Sunshine State of Florida. And did you know there could have been a difference? He might have not been uh, playing notes, but instead he could have been catching fly balls since he was originally drafted out of high school. Chandler Wilson, exciting interview with him as we talk EMU marching band. No secret that the EMU marching band was reinvigorated with some energy this year. That is uh, credited to Chandler, no doubt. Like Greg said, this guy is a very interesting individual. We had the chance to go out to dinner with him prior to this year's bowl game. Really, when you think about uh, all the things that he's been able to do, drafted out of high school in terms of baseball, uh, really good athlete in multiple sports, then has the music side of it and his way of didn't always know he was going to go this route in music, maybe thought teaching, maybe athlete, but to see where he's gotten, it really helps to explain his kind of approach 
to how he takes on the marching band and why. And really, when you hear his story, it's no surprise that Eastern has gotten so improved so quickly. And then our final interview of the week is new football assistant coach Lamarcus Hicks. He comes to us from Bowling Green State University, where he was most recently their assistant coach for the secondary. He'll here he'll coach cornerbacks for head coach Chris Creighton's team. Uh, he went undrafted out of Iowa State, walk on for at uh, for the Lions after being undrafted, and has done a stellar job helping change defenses everywhere he's gone. Has lived in Washington County. Pretty much the last 14 years didn't move from Ipsy when he was coaching at BG, his homecoming of sorts. We talk about that to wrap up the show. And one thing you're going to hear in that interview is how much this area really drew him back to want to coach at Eastern Michigan. He loves having his family here. He loves living in the Ypsilanti area. And really, when you think about not only his ability to coach on the field, of course, he was a former NFL player, a standout player at Iowa State. That's a great part of it as well. But to have a coach that can look student athletes or prospective student athletes in the eyes and say, not only can I walk the walk on the football field, but I want to be an Ypsilantian. I want you to come here and be with me. That's really just so genuine. You can definitely take that from his interview. A man of not too many hoop and holler words on the field in his short time here. I've watched him coach a few times. But really, when you start talking to him and get deeper into it, uh, really a fantastic mind and a a great interview that you're going to enjoy jam-packed show we can't wait for you to hear it a quick timeout when we return you'll hear from those and so much more here on the eastern insider podcast If you've been to a EMU sporting event or been around campus the last few months, you've certainly noticed a change in the Eastern Michigan marching band. And we're joined by its director, Chandler Wilson. First year at Eastern Michigan. First off, welcome. But the biggest thing that people notice is the band sounds differently this year. Man. What when people tell you that, how does that make you feel? Uh, well, it makes me feel good for the students more than anything else. Uh, and that's been a big plus coming here at Eastern. It's just kind of necessarily changing the energy and that in turn changes the sound. So there are some things we do musically with changing the articulation and stuff uh, just because it'll travel further. It's really all physics. Um, but that plus the energy behind it gives you the actual sound that we are creating. Uh, but it feels it feels good because I know for the students, they really enjoy that and they really appreciate people noticing the work that they're doing. If you look at your journey before we get talking about the students again, your guy originally from the state of Florida, went to Florida A&M. You found yourself in grad school at Indiana or Pennsylvania, and then you go back home uh, to Florida State. What is a guy from the Sunshine State (laughs) doing first off in Pennsylvania, but then now in Michigan? Uh, Pennsylvania was uh, there. The guy that I studied with my master's name is Dr. Jack Stamp. He's really big in the band world. And uh, I was looking for somewhere to get a master's and somebody actually in Florida suggested, hey, you should probably look at Indiana University of Pennsylvania. And I was like, where is that for one? And how is Indiana in Pennsylvania? Two, and uh, you know what? I enjoyed my experience there. Uh, Dr. Stamp is an amazing guy. I uh, learned so much musically as a, a musician, a, as a conductor, but even just as a human and as a, a man, I uh, learned a lot from him. Uh, and then, you know, made my way back to Florida State. And uh, when I was completing my doctorate degree last year, uh, the job opened at Eastern. And about 30 seconds from the job posting, both of my major professors 
sent me an email and said, hey, this is a school you probably need to look at. And it's been history ever since. So been here and uh, applied for it and just kind of getting acclimated to the area and enjoying it so far. When you look at your journey, thinking back, what was the earliest musical memory that you have or kind of what what started you on the, the, the rise to, to want to make music part of your blood? Wow, that's a really good question. Uh, earliest memory, probably watched my dad. Uh, my dad was a music minister at my grandmother's church uh, down in Overtown in Miami. Uh, and it was always good to see him play. My aunties and uncles and cousins are all very musically oriented. So music has always been around. Uh, but uh, as a musician, personally, I remember had to be maybe second, third grade. And I was walking out of our music class at the time. And I walked to a piano and I played a chord on the piano that I saw my dad do quite often. And the music teacher asked me, Mr. Arnold, he said, hey, do you know what you just played? And I was like, no. And he said, well, come back after school. You know, that was kind of cool back then. Just come back after school. We'll figure out how you get home later. And, um, <laughs> you know, that it's kind of how it started. And next thing you know, I was playing piano in our fifth grade graduation years later, and uh, it kind of opened the door for me. When you think back, is there a favorite instrument or genre of music that, that you prefer the most of? Or is it kind of like uh, having a kid where they're all really special in their own way? They are. They're all very special in their own way. Uh, I'm a saxophone player, so I'm going to just say that saxophone is going to be where my heart is. Uh, but I've loved film scores, movies uh, for the longest. So uh, composers like John Williams and Howard Shore have always affected me. It also affects my parents because they love film score music. So if I had to choose a genre of which I enjoy a lot, it would be the classical film score side because uh, it actually affects the person because the music would be, sorry, the movie would be completely different if the music was playing. So the fact that the, the music can actually give you goosebumps or kind of set you up for the next scene, it shows how powerful music really is. Not only are you the director of the marching band, but you're also, of course, a professor mm -hmm. in Eastern Michigan School of Music. But I know teaching wasn't maybe always your first choice, having read that you were a guy that initially started college in the computer side of things, yeah. but you also were an athlete, too, growing up. That I, I was. Um, I started off school uh, as a computer graphics major and then kind of found my way around, and ultimately we just had an intervention with some of my music professors and were like, hey, maybe this should be what you're doing. And that kind of made that change. Uh, but as a, a, a child, yeah, I was an athlete for a very long time, a huge baseball player. As a kid, started playing baseball around five or six. I played competitively, travel league, played very well. Um, had some some pretty cool records down in Florida at one point. Um, not even sure they still exist, but it was it was it was pretty. It was a good it was a good time. Uh, not just playing for myself, but with my little brother and my friends in the neighborhood. The whole neighborhood was in on it, so that's what made it really really exciting. And uh, we were standard young men at the time, so soccer, football, you name it. Uh, but baseball was the one thing that I really really enjoyed. You got loved. drafted, right? I did. What, I did. What position? Center field. Center field. Second base would be my backup, but. You could have been the, the Billy Hamilton for all you wanted to yeah, be. Yeah, and granted, humbly saying, I could, I could, I could fly. My little motto at you know the age of sixteen was, "I'll get on first. I'll steal second and third. You just get me home." We're here with Chandler Wilson. As you look at this, you've had a lot of cool experiences in your first year at Eastern Michigan. Mm -hmm. You've done everything from play a Lions game to getting to go back there mm -hmm. uh, to play in the Quick Lane Bowl. What have been some of your favorite memories so far in this first year at EMU? Wow. Um, 
going back to almost the, the first thing is watching the students see how their hard work pays off. That to me is what matters and, and touches me the most. Uh, when our first football halftime was done and the crowd was going nuts, it was a different band after halftime because they were like, oh, we get it. We understand it. Uh, and then watching them perform at the uh, Lions game and even at the Quick Lane Bowl, all of it was really uh, great to see. And, uh, you know, we hope to continue that in the future and even go to, the, to go to a couple of away games and give them those opportunities as well. Looking at the marching band perspective, EMU Athletics all the time talks about wanting to be a point of pride for the university. Mm -hmm. Certainly the band does too. When you look at bands around the country, what are the ones that you emulate that you'd eventually like to become similar mm -hmm. to? Wow. Um, I think Eastern has its, has the Pay, uh, the possibility and capability of kind of being its own. A lot of the great college marching bands, those being Florida State, your Florida A&M universities, where I got my undergraduate, or even the grand, some of the grandfathers, University of Illinois, University of Michigan, that have been around for hundreds of years, is they don't really compare themselves to anybody else. They just compare themselves to themselves and try to make each, you know make each year better. And uh, Eastern has that that makeup, and that's something that we want to do is make sure that we can do things our way that can be effective for our audience, and then make sure we can continue to better ourselves each year. There are certainly some traditions that EMU Marching Band has. Uh, what stands out to you of, of some of the traditions that were already in this building before you came over, not including, of course, the voice that so many people have recognized for years in Harry Bowden that retired at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. So that'll be a new tradition. But what, yes. what are the ones that you have embraced the most? Uh, Pre-game is one of the biggest traditions you can always get uh, when it comes to marching bands. So the pre-game uh, pre uh, sequence with their opening fanfare, uh, a lot of stuff we do in the stands from playing war to the first down chant that we have are traditions that are, are great. And we just you know, want to cap and even build on some of those and make them even more massive if we can. When you think of sports and music, they a lot of times go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Usually athletes want to be musicians. Musicians a lot of times <laughs> want to be athletes. But thinking of that, it's hard to imagine a sporting event without music. It, it, it is. Uh, and a great, a great friend of mine uh, named Gregory Drain um, you know, mentioned to me once that a part of being in a marching band or even in a, a pep band, because it could be volleyball, basketball, anything where you have that atmosphere, it's kind of like being the soundtrack of the game. Uh, of course, you know, you can have canned music and things, but even networks like ESPN, when it's time for college football, there's going to be a band on a commercial. It's going to start with some type of drums uh, because it's a thing that's really related to college tradition and alma mater and fight song and things like that that can never be replaced without an actual band. So that, I think, is kind of one of the cool parts. You, we've already mentioned the, the, the band wanting to go on road trips mm -hmm. coming up, and we know they got new uniforms within the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. But what are other things that if somebody is out there listening and they're a former band alumni, mm -hmm. how can they still get involved and come back and be a part of, of your program? Oh, that, that's a great question. Um, our EMU uh, alumni base, we're trying to expand as much as possible. Um, that's as simple as finding us on our university webpage page, um, send us an email to our uh, band's email, which is emu.bands at emish.edu. Uh, and there we're actually collecting and uh, building a whole database of alumni so we can start to be out and communicate with them as much as possible so they know what we're doing and they can always reach out and see if there's anything that we uh, we can do or, or need. Um, we'll be working on some drives and stuff over the next couple of years because, uh, of course, the goal is to, to grow the band, which means there'll be more things that we need at a time. 
time finances that we would need at that time in order to make a lot of these things work. Uh, we just want to make them proud. So um, emu.bands at emish.edu uh, and we'll add it to the database. And we also have certain outlets uh, like on Facebook and different uh, social media platforms also. Chandler, appreciate your time. You're the first band director in my 20 years that I've got to have dinner with. Okay. So I appreciate what everything that you've done for the program and can't wait to see what you have in store Thank for us you. going Thank forward. You. Pleasure is mine and I really appreciate the opportunity. Each year, Eastern Michigan experiences some changeover on its football staff, and this year, no different. The newest cornerbacks coach joins me now, LaMarcus Hicks. First off, welcome to Slaney, but no stranger to Mid-American Conference football. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Um, like you say, I'm no stranger to the conference. I've been at Bowling Green for the last two years, but I'm really excited to be here at, at Eastern Michigan now. Um, I was living in the area right here in town for the last two years and, and making a commute an hour every day, so now my commute is a lot easier. So. Yeah, that certainly makes it a whole lot easier. Yeah. Of course, people may remember you from your time with the Detroit Lions, a couple years stint with them. What has Southeastern Michigan meant to you? I know it's a big part of, of your professional career, but also your family as well. Yeah, you know what? This area is, is home to me now. Um, I've been connected to the area for the last 14 years. Um, I came up and played for the Lions for a couple years, met my wife during that time. And uh, once I got done playing, she she told me I couldn't leave. So I've been here ever since. And and uh, I, I, I really love it. I enjoy it here. Uh, my wife's family, she's, she's got a big family and, and we spend a lot of time with a lot of her family. Um, so this is this is home. Like I said, you know, like I said, I'm just glad to be back in the area. And that way I'm not traveling every day. So really good to be here. We'll start first uh, with your question on the Lions, an undrafted free agent. And you know the possibilities of catching on are small and you were able to stick on there first to practice squad, then two years. You've kind of beaten the odds, proving some, some people that yeah, you can make it even if you don't get drafted. You know what? The thing is, is is the way you work. Um, you know, you can't stay down just because you're undrafted. It, it doesn't mean that you can't make it. Um, I just kept believing and, and just kept going. You know, that was something that I always wanted to do my whole life growing up. And to have that opportunity right there in my hands, I mean, I, I just did everything that I could um, to to stay around and, and um, you know, make myself valuable to that team and, and uh, you know, just, just attack it every day. Kid from uh, uh, Mississippi, you end up with your undergrad degree at Iowa State. Uh, talk about your t- time in Ames. And did you know Coach Blaney much when you were there? I didn't know Coach Blaney. He was actually at Kansas at the time. But, I I mean, I loved Ames. It, it was really good. It was different uh, from where I grew up at, which was really good for me, you know, from a, a growth standpoint. Um, Ames is a really good uh, small town, really good place where you can raise families and that type of deal. But I met a lot of good people there. And that's really what attracted me to go to Iowa State was the people there. Uh, I mean, the coaching staff, the the players on the team, they were all good people. So uh, went up there and, and, and had a couple of good years, went to a couple of bowl games, and, and uh, the rest is history. Two-time Big 12 Player of the Week as well. Uh, one time, what, it was against Oklahoma? 
One time was against Oklahoma State. Okay. Yeah, uh, which was our homecoming that year. Um, had a couple of interceptions. That was a fun day. That was a fun day for us. Uh, we had some players back in town who had played on the on the team the year before who were in the NFL at the time. And and uh, I just remember, you know, guys coming on the sideline during the game and, <laughs> and just, you know, helping coaches up and giving us points and stuff like that. But that was a fun day. And uh, the other one was against our rival, um, the, the Iowa Hawkeyes, early in the season. So that was also a fun day. Always good to beat the Big Ten. Eastern's done that the last few years as well. After a, a stay at Rhodes College, you get a defensive coordinator job here in Michigan at Truman High School, learning, being able to grow that team. What was the mm-hmm. most rewarding part of that? The most rewarding part, um, I would say, we, we, we made the playoffs uh, for the first time in, in, in years. And to see that team go from what they were, not winning a lot of games, and, and now you see players get, get to experience winning, and you get to see players go on to play college football regardless of the level. I think that was the most rewarding. So it was good. It was really good. And from there, you moved to, to Washtenaw County rival Concordia. Of course, uh, Eastern knows Concordia well. Great, great eBay, of course, the great linebacker from a few years came over from Concordia. But they've really been able to establish that football program, haven't they? And you helped lay that foundation. You, you know what? They've done an unbelievable job over there. I mean, just building the thing and, and um, you know, growing their brand, um, I think is really uh, what helped them grow that program and they've, they've built nice facilities. Uh, but, but coach priest, I mean, I, I was working for him and he had a relationship with coach Creighton, uh, but he's done an unbelievable job over there. Now coach shoe has taken over the job and, and uh, you know, just keeping it going. But they've done a really good job. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of those guys and, and really excited for what they're doing over there. From there, you get to make the big jump to, to Conference USA in, in North Texas. The Mean Green, uh, always a, a terror in that league. And your defensive secondary was was no slouch going up against a really talented league. You know, it's, I, I look at going to North Texas uh, similar to coming here. Um, North Texas the year before going to a bowl game they had done a lot of good things defensively offensively as a team and uh, my role was to come in and just help continue that and I see the same thing coming here to Eastern Um, they built this thing and they've done a great job here in in, uh, recent years and and I, I feel like it's just it's a similar situation coming here and help continue that you know they got guys that are returning that have played some ball and and uh the last thing I want to do is come in and see him take a step back. So just want to come in and help and, and do a good job with them. Yeah, at Bowling Green, after a stop at Jackson State last uh, year before last, your secondary was sixth nationally in passing yards allowed, just 167 yards a contest for the Falcons. Uh, but you also got to experience the other side of it, a transition uh, a, a coaching change and how has that also maybe helped you and change your relationship with players because you have had helped guide them through a, a difficult situation as well. Yeah. You know, that, that was, uh, that was different for me. That was the first time that I was part of a staff who was uh, let go and um, I was able to be retained on that staff. And, you know, I, I really appreciate appreciate those guys for, for keeping me on and, and helping with that transition. Um, but I think that was, that was very important to a lot of guys on the team, um, you know, to have somebody there who they were familiar with, you know, who could help them start to 
to build that uh, that 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 bridge between you know the old staff mm-hmm. and the new staff and and get things going, get guys to buy in. Um, it, it was good. I, I know it was good for for my position especially, and I think it was the same for a couple of recruits um, who were you know who were really um, locked in with the previous staff or or myself or whoever it may have been. But um, it was good to just keep somebody there that, you know, that way we can keep some of those relationships going. Some coaches are, are kind of tough love guys. Some are, are really hold you tight and, and embrace mm-hmm. you and build you up. What's kind of your style? You know what? My style, I would say, is somewhere between, you know. Um, I, I want to I have high expectations for my guys, and I want to hold them to that standard. Um, but at the same time, uh, those guys, they'll, they'll know that I love them. You know, I love them like my own. Um, I want to get them over to the house and spend time with them, get them around my family. My wife really wants to be involved with the program, uh, which is something that she hadn't been able to do the last two years because of the distance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now she she gets to do that. Now she's excited about that. But those guys, they'll they'll know that I care about them as much as I do my own kids. Um, but again, you know, my own kids, hey, I got high expectations for you. I'm going to hold you to the standard and, and make sure you're doing it right. Coming to Eastern Michigan, you get to take over a corners position that was coached by Fred Reed, who's still mm-hmm. on staff. He slides over to safeties. Mm-hmm. How How is that relationship and, and how unique is that that the person that previously coached is just still on staff that you can still bounce ideas off of? You know what? The thing is, Fred and I have been bouncing ideas for years. Uh, he was actually on the staff with the Lions when I played there. And, and uh, so we've had a relationship. Um, you know, we've kept in touch over the years. Um, he, You know, he actually reached out to me and um, asked if I would be interested in doing something like that. So it's it's really good. He's helping me transition and, and learn the new system a lot. Um, so it, it's been it's been good. It's been you know I, I the thing about it working in the, in the secondary with another guy. Um, you know you usually have to have some similar ideas mm-hmm. and some similar philosophy. Uh, but you know like I said I learned from Fred yep. um, um, years back. So. It's been really good. Been a smooth transition. And then we'll get you out of here on this. Having been in the league, you've seen what Eastern Michigan has been able to do the last few years. Now being a part of it, how different is it once you're actually on the inside to see maybe how Coach Creighton actually ticks? You know, this is I've been impressed um, since I've gotten here uh, with the way that they do things here. Uh, but he's an unbelievable leader. Um, I can see that the way he builds it. He builds it on leadership. He builds it on character. Um, and and he walks that way. He's not just preaching something and walking a different way. He's actually, you know, he's actually doing the things that he's he's trying to get our players to do. Uh, but it's been really good to see it from the inside. I've watched it from the outside uh, for the last six years since mm-hmm. he took over the job. Uh, but it's, it's really good to be on the inside now and just be a part of it. Coach Hicks, congratulations on the job. Welcome Thanks. to Ipsy. And if we can ever do anything, don't hesitate to reach out. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's Eastern Insider Podcast, and now we're joined by Kiara Johnson. She's a sophomore forward for the Eastern Michigan women's basketball team. And for those that don't know, this month, a very special one here at Eastern Michigan because it's Play for K Month for women's basketball, of course, honoring Kay Yao, the legendary head women's basketball coach at North Carolina State who battled cancer. And so Eastern does a lot of things throughout 
the month uh, on Saturday this past week. They had their annual Play for K game. But it means so much more to someone like Kira because cancer really hits home for her. So, Kira, let's start by introducing yourself, and then we'll get into your story. Hi, my name is Kira Johnson. I play on the women's basketball team, and I'm a forward. So, Kira, I know that cancer hits home for you because of your mother, Maria. So let's just tell our listeners a little bit about your mom. My mom is my best friend. I literally tell her everything. I love her to death. <laughs> tell us a little bit about her diagnosis and how that was uh, when you first heard that. Um, one day my mom woke up and she had a lump on her um, breast. And we went to the doctors. And of course, me, I was like seven. So I came with them. And we're in the doctor's office. And the doctor came in and told my mom that she had breast cancer. And we found out that it was stage four breast cancer. That's certainly incredibly moving. I have to ask, were you in the room when the doctor told your mother that she had cancer? Or how did your family kind of uh, address that? I know you and your sister, how did they tell you? I was in the room. At that age, I knew what cancer was, but I didn't know what breast cancer was. Um, I recently lost both my grandparents from cancer. So at that age, I knew that like, I was just thinking, oh, my mom's going to die. So it was hard for me. Obviously, hearing those three words that you have cancer or someone you love has cancer is incredibly hard. Maybe one of the worst things you have to hear. Do you remember when you first heard those words out of your mom, what it felt like or, or what your family felt like in those initial moments after hearing that? Um, my parents were in shock. They're more mad as of why did the doctor say it in front of me? And I just think, kept thinking, I'm going to lose my mom. I'm going to lose my mom. And they took me out the room. And, you know, my mom quickly started chemo and going through therapy and radiation. Well, of course, one of the hardest parts of cancer is watching your family member go through treatment. Chemo and radiation can often be very hard on the body. Tell us a little bit about your mom's chemo process or recovery process. And, and how was that in terms of its effect on you? It was hard on me seeing my mom like sick and stuff. Sorry. And um, she was very strong. Like we still went to um, Orlando for Disney and stuff. And my mom, she didn't want us to see like every day her hair falling out and stuff, but eventually did. My mom had beautiful hair. Like my mom is beautiful. When I look at myself, I see my mom, you know, and she shaved her head and stuff. And she was very strong. As a child, I didn't really know, like, is she getting better? But like she started to get stronger. A lot of my family came around that like wasn't really in my life to help us. So it was hard, but... Tell us a little bit more about your mom's recovery. Her recovery was hard, especially like because my mom was always like with us. Like that's my mother. So she she worked as a mental therapist counselor. So like they would tell her not to come to work, you know, take off. And she was always like, no, I could do it. She cared about everybody when everybody was like, no, it's you. We need to worry about you. She was still there. She took care of us. She still cooked and everything. It was just hard, but she did it. Well, Kira, sometimes, you know, it, it's easy to look at things as a bad situation, but I know you're pretty positive and have talked to me about how even bad situations can have positive lights. So when you think about the situation with your mom, what lessons did you learn that uh, whether watching your mom go through this or you going through it? And, and did you did that help you with basketball coming up? 
Yes, my mom, like, just everything, like, going through, like, not playing as good as I want to or just put my head down, like, just keep your head high. Like, my mom just lost her grandparents to cancer, and then you look up, and you're you the one who have cancer, and you have to tell your children that and still do adventurous stuff. So just keep moving and be strong. So, KJ, if you could give a message to any young girl or really any individual that's maybe an athlete or or maybe not that has 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 a parent that's going through something like breast cancer or has a family member that's doing that what would your message to them be that even though the process may be hard and sad just be there for them and give them something to look forward to give them something to be happy about waking up every day and fighting and going through chemo and radiation just be there with them well kara that's certainly well taken and beautiful is there any other message or any anything that you might want to say to your mom if she's going to listen? Um, mom, I know you think like I forget about it and stuff, but like I'm so grateful. Oh my god. Why you guys do this to me? I'm so happy like you fought for me and my sister because literally every day I wake up and I go to school and I go to basketball practice and I do it for you. <laughs> love you so much. Oh my gosh, you guys. Sorry. It was so hard seeing her like that. And like, oh, she was so happy all the time. And I know she really wasn't like feeling good. But she would just keep a smile on her face. And I love her so much for that. I can't remember, like, when I ever got in an argument with my mom. Like, a real argument where I'm, like, fighting back and forth with her. I cannot. Like, you can say something. I might be mad, but I'm not going to argue with my mom. Like, all you have done for me, fighting cancer, cancer, and being strong, losing your grandparents, the people who raised you. I don't know how she did it. She's a strong woman. And all I do is look up to my mother for that. And I love her to death. KJ, that really is so beautiful. Uh, Such a touching and moving story. And for those of you uh, at home, I know I speak on behalf of all of you and we tell Kira how how powerful that message is. And well, we just want to thank you again, Kira. And we'll have more on the Eastern Insider right after this. Well, that'll do it for another edition of the Eastern Insider Podcast. Thank you, as always, to all of our guests and, most importantly, you, the listeners. We couldn't do it without you, and we're so excited to be able to bring you all things Eastern straight from the source every week. As always, you can listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever you download your podcast, including this year from our own website, emueagles.com slash podcasts. Make sure you stay with us every Monday. We'll be back next week bigger and better than ever. Until then, go green, go white, and go Eastern, and have a great week. We'll see you next time.